Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, this is Pia Baranchini, and welcome to Everything is the Best, the podcast where I get vulnerable and make others do it with me. The goal here is to deep dive into interesting people's journeys, finding common denominators, and hopefully making you feel not so alone. So let's laugh, let's cry, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Hello, my darlings. Welcome back. We obviously skipped last week um, out of respect for our current civil rights movement um, because we here believe that Black lives matter and I didn't want to take up any unnecessary space. Um, This week, we have a special guest, uh, Chrissy Rutherford, who's the former senior digital editor and special projects director and now contributor at Harper's Bazaar. She grew up in Westchester, New York, before attending Fairfield University and later moving to the city. And after eight years working in the fashion industry, Chrissy decided she needed more time, more freedom, and more space in her life to make room for her next step. After recently having an IGTV video regarding racism go viral, she is now consulting major fashion brands on their values and company diversity. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where Davide gives some pretty special advice to one of our listeners. I kind of knew that like something like this would happen where like I was kind of being hard on myself that I wasn't being proactive about doing stuff, but I could also tell that like my, I was just exhausted. Mm -hmm. I was so burnt out. Like I was burnt out for more than like the last year I was at Bazaar. So I'm like, Hey, I don't have rent to pay. So if I can take this time to really just like do whatever the fuck I want, then I should do that. Mm -hmm. Isn't it interesting how like, I mean, you made, you made room for it and it came. Right. Because I knew that once I really like figured out sort of where things were going, that like there wasn't going to be any stopping it. So how often do we actually get to take months off from working? Like no one does that. No one. I know. To give people who don't know you a background, do you want to give like a quick, how you ended up at Harper's? Like what your career, did you want to do that? Where you grew up kind of like a. Yeah. So I, grew up obsessed with fashion. I was always into clothes. I was always reading fashion magazines. I would literally read them cover to cover, analyze every single ad campaign, (laughs) fashion story. I just wanted to know everything. So I started off interning at Harper's Bazaar. Actually, I did two summer internships there. My 
before my junior and senior year of college. And then I graduated in 2008 when the economy was <laughs> going to complete shit. So, you know, I felt really confident coming off those two internships. Like I had such a great experience. I learned so much. I had great relationships with the editors that I worked with. So I was like, oh, I'm going to get a job easily. Like I took that summer off after I graduated and I was like, oh, I'll get a job. But then literally by what August, September, everything was falling apart. People were getting laid off. So it wasn't as easy <laughs> as I thought it was going to be. And so then I just was like looking for any kind of job in the fashion industry. Like my first gig um, ended up being just like a freelance job working at a multi-label showroom doing sales. So I would work with them for the market period. Mm -hmm. So starting when New York Fashion Week started till about two weeks after Paris Fashion Week ended. And I did that for three seasons. That's exhausting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it was, it was cool. You know, it wasn't what I really wanted to do. I wanted to be an editorial, but I was like, at least this gets me a foot in the door. Mm-hmm. At least I'm meeting people. I'm working. I'm making money. Mm-hmm. I was commuting from Westchester where I grew up. And so, yeah, then in between, I did like one other internship. And then it was so serendipitous. The next summer, so this is 2009, I was out with friends in New York City one night and I ran into one of the editors I used to intern for it, Bizarre, who I had a great relationship with. And so I was like, I still don't have a job. Like, <laughs> And he was like, sure. He was like, send me your resume. I'll see what I can do. And it was about to be New York Fashion Week. It was like the very end of the summer. So, you know, I heard from him like late September. He was like, okay, why don't you come in and meet with me? He had like a, he was, sorry, he was working at InStyle.com as the fashion director. Mm. So I went and met with him and, you know, he had like a little side project he was working on. So he's like, I think you would be great to assist with that. And I met with the fashion news editor there who was Joanne King, who turned into my boss at Bazaar. So I worked at InStyle for about a year. I was full-time freelance. They had a policy that once, you know, you work a certain amount of hours, you're out. So I left, did some freelancing for like stylists and all of that. It was miserable. Mm -hmm. They didn't me, all that fun stuff. And then Joanne had left InStyle to go be the senior web editor at Harper's Bazaar. And I think maybe like eight months after she had been there, we were keeping in touch. She emailed me and was like, what are you doing? Do you want to come freelance for a couple months? And I was like, sure, of course. And so then she just ended up fighting to keep me. And Eight and a half years later, there I was. That's so wild to be in that February. Yeah. Um, So I left February of this year. Did that go by really fast? For sure. Um, You know, it was such a crazy cycle of doing fashion weeks is tiring and exhausting and it goes by really fast. And so I can imagine how that eight years probably felt like. Yeah. Like a flash in the pan. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just such an interesting time to be working on the internet. I think when I first came in there in what year was it then? I don't know, 2010, 2011, I think it was 2011. And so, you know, the website was kind of just like a dumping ground for the magazine. There was 
very little original content. It was like, oh, you did like one new story a week or something like that. And yeah, and then starting to go to fashion week, starting starting to go to events. Events were just becoming like a big thing also. Mm-hmm. And, and as we know, like that gained major popularity. And then it, all of a sudden, you know, it was like, oh, well, you go to like a party once a month, twice a month. And then all of a sudden it was like, you're out every single night of the week mm-hmm. at a cocktail party, a store launch, a dinner, black tie gala, all of that. And yeah, I did that all. Uh, so it was, you know, there was really never a dull moment. There was always so much going on. You're always juggling so many different things. Yeah. Every fashion week season, I was only really traveling the last like four years. I would do London and then I did Paris a couple of times. I also did Milan for the first time, uh, last September and there got to a period of time where fashion week started giving me anxiety. It was just too much. Like the shows are getting so big. They're so packed. They're not temperature controlled. You know, the lights are hot. Mm -hmm. The farther you get away from the door, you're like, how the hell am I getting out? (laughs) You're running around for hours on your feet. You're not eating properly. Like none of that contributes to like a stable mind. So that was, that was tough for me. For a little bit. Was that like, the kinda, main reason why you wanted to bounce? No, I think it was more just like, this feels like it's run its course. Yeah. I think, you know, the digital landscape has just changed so much. And I just, in my heart of hearts, I knew like, there's something bigger for me to do. And, and I was burnt out. I was truly, truly burnt out. No seven day vacation was going to solve it. I think that if I could have gone on a sabbatical, Mm. maybe that could have saved me. But at the same time, I, I really do think it was just like, it's time for me to move on to something different. Hey guys, I'm Kinsey from the I Love You So Much podcast. On my show, we talk about everything, lifestyle, business, finance, beauty, you name it. My favorite part about the show is the amazing guests that we bring on. We have everyone ranging from like business experts to influencers, CEOs, creative masterminds. It's so much fun. If you guys want to find me on Instagram and it's just at Kinsey Elizabeth, I release new episodes every Thursday. So hope to see you there. Well, I want to applaud you for like following that gut feeling and saying that this has run its course and there's something bigger for you because it's the scariest decision anyone can make. And I'm, I I always say that it's that feeling that guides you to your fucking truth. And it's, it's those big jumps that catapult you to where you're supposed to be. I mean, you can, it's happening to you right now. So First of all, like just congratulations for like following your guts and making that big decision. I know it's, it's hard. You know, it was, I spent about two years in agony trying to decide, okay, is this the right thing to do? And then once I decided it was, well, when is the right time Mm -hmm. to do it? You know, and I was like, I need a sign from the universe or something. And, and it really just all sort of did fall into place. And, but it was hard. Like I, I cried many times over it. I was stressed, you know, there's, 
I think there's also something about working in the fashion industry and definitely having a job like that where you know how many people look up to you and want to do that job. And so it's so hard when you aren't happy, but people are always like, oh, but your job is amazing. (laughs) So then you start to think, am I ungrateful Mm -hmm. because I don't feel fulfilled by this anymore? There was, you know, it was really hard to sort of like take a step back and try to just make sense of that for myself because part of me was like, oh, you're being ungrateful. Like this is an amazing job. So many girls would kill to do this job. Yeah. Which is a a healthy rhetoric in that you're being objective and having perspective on what's going on. But it also is that rhetoric that keeps you attached to like a name like Harper's Bazaar because you're like, where am I going to go from this? Right. And that's the hardest thing when you have a job in fashion too because you know that everyone, like, you know that like half the people that talk to you are because of your fucking job? Exactly. (laughs) You're like, uh. I could, I I really could reckon with that. I'm like, if I could get less emails, if less (laughs) people were hitting me up, I think I could totally be okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. I do think that's also like such a stressor that people don't really realize. Like there's always someone wanting something from Mm -hmm. you. And just like what that does to you mentally. The emails every day, like, can you do me a favor? I'm pitching this, this and this and this and this and this. And like, it just, it never ends. It never ends. And then you feel guilty and, you know, there's relationships you have to uphold you're like, I'm being stretched in a million different directions. There's, there's just such a, you know, it's so much to juggle, you know? And I think that like, I really try to be straight up with girls who are, you know, in my DMs asking me how do they, you know, work in editorial and all of this, because, you know, I think it's really hard to portray these jobs honestly. And clearly Mm -hmm. I know that they it looks really fun. I get tons of free clothes. I go on all these trips and this and that, but don't be mistaken. There is so much hard work that goes into it. And I think it's so important for them to know that like, it never gets easier. Like, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think that like, okay, well I'm an intern, but once I get an assistant job, it'll be easier. Or once I make it to this level, it'll be easier. Or once I make it to director, like it never gets easier because as you rise up the ranks, you're getting more responsibility, more shit is being piled onto your plate. You're just like always working at capacity at all times. I can't imagine that and Instagram. Right. Because then you were also like, I mean, you really kind of like merged those two. I mean, like, here are my outfits. Here's what I'm doing. And then now that now you have an email dialogue with people and then people at the office and then like Instagram and the comments and people hitting you up. I mean, and you can't turn. You can have boundaries and rules with Instagram, but it's like as soon as you open your phone in the morning, it's like, woof, like there it goes. The first thing I'm doing is I'm on Instagram. Like, like I'm not even going to pretend like I'm not a <laughs> Well, it's a good transition to then go from that to you fully moving in to your parents' house in the suburbs, which I can honestly relate to. It's <laughs> like, you I'm in your mom. fucking Pasadena. How's that been? It's been really nice, actually. Like, I definitely came into it feeling a little worried about 
just feeling like stressed and sort of like displaced. You know, I grew up always being very close to my parents. Like college was the first time I spent an extended period of time away from my parents. Like I never went to summer camp. I never did any of those things. I wasn't like traveling by myself and like spending the summer in Europe. Or I something. didn't do any of that either. When I moved away, I was like, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, once I got to college, I don't know, it just all clicked for me. Like I was just like, oh my God, I'm my own person and I can be independent. And you know, I've just really grown into that person. Like I love my parents. I talk to them all the time, but you know, I can operate in the world without them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah. So then like coming back home was just a little weird, but the first thing I did, <laughs> I, the idea sort of came to me like the week before I was moving home. I was like, we need to purge. We need to purge our house because I know, well, I was feeling like very bogged down by all this stuff in my like studio apartment. And even though I'm moving into like, you know, my parents like suburban home, there is going to be a lot more space. But at the same time, I'm like, I know there's just like clutter there and just like thinking about it. Parents have shit in their homes. It's every parent just full of stuff. So much. So like literally after spending all afternoon moving all my stuff out with my dad and my brother, as soon as I got to my parents' house, I went straight to my bedroom and I was like, I need to move this bookshelf and all these magazines out. I need to move. I hate this night table. I was pulling out all the stuff from under my bed, going through like all these mementos I saved from like high school, just like organizing everything. And I literally like took everything out of my bedroom so that I could just like start fresh. And I don't know, I think something about that just like really shifted the energy for me because I never really felt my best when I came back to my parents' house. And I think it sort of had to do with like my room not really feeling like it was mine or even like a reflection of me because Mm -hmm. I have been living in the city for 10 years. So obviously my room just came like a random place for things. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. So I was like, I really need it to feel like it's mine. And luckily like my parents are usually like on board with like a deep cleaning and every, you know, couple of years, like my mom will do like a little bit of a purge, but I'm like, no, we're going like from room to room and just getting all the stuff out. So we literally spent like the first two weeks doing that. I like made my dad repaint my room. We like redid our guest room. And, and it was also nice to sort of have those, like those projects to work on that felt like very bonding for my parents and I. So it all just like sort of came together and I don't know, just literally like cleared out the like stale energy in our house. How is it being in there with them every, like, are you having like breakfast and dinner with them? Yeah. So my mom was working this whole time because my mom is a nurse, but she doesn't work in, in like public spaces anymore. She does just, she just does private home care. So she was still working every day, but my dad was home from work. So he and I, like every morning I was like, okay, what are we making for breakfast? Like my dad loves making pancakes. So (laughs) 
we were having a lot of pancakes and <laughs> then we would like listen to a podcast maybe in the kitchen for a little bit. And then like, he would go downstairs to like his little TV den and I would go back up to my room and like do whatever I'm doing. And then my mom comes home in the afternoon she'll like make dinner. We sit in the kitchen talk and like, yeah, it's just, it it's been nice like having that routine again. You'll never have, you'll be thankful to the day that you die that you had this time with your parents. You'll never get that back. It's like I know. magic. It's- I'm very, I feel very grateful. Also that like, you know, just considering everything that's been going on in the world, like having my lease be up in April, I was like, thank the Lord. Yeah. Because, you know, I left my job in February and you know, I had money saved up, but I could have also been in a situation where I ended up draining my entire savings on a New York City apartment that I'm stuck inside. So you're stuck and, inside it for all that time being miserable. Yeah. It's not conducive to anything. Right. So I was just thinking how lucky I was that that all worked out. And yeah, just having like the support of my family And also, you know, through what's going on right now, like it's been nice to just like have my parents support and just like having those conversations about racism and, you know, sort of like reliving past memories of like experiences we've all had individually or, you know, things we've had to navigate as a family. And yeah, there's just something... I'm sure you guys are learning a lot about each other. Like, I'm sure there's experiences that you didn't know that they went through and vice versa. Yeah. So I can imagine that. I mean, those are conversations that you would have, unless you're sharing space and all that time together that you wouldn't have had. Um, So speaking of, I would love to talk about, or like, (laughs) congratulate you on that video you made. It was like... (laughs) I saw it right when I went up and I was like, this is good. And, And I... I like watched it with my mother and my husband because this has been a a very, you know, the the work starts from in our home, right? So I've been having like really intense conversations with certain family members and educating my mother. Yeah. And, And then it was like, all of a sudden I saw it on everyone's stories. And then I was like, Ariana Grande. And then I was like... I bet this is up to like 2 million by now. And then I was like, 5 million. (laughs) How fabulous. Because it was so, what you said, it was so elegant and so chic and so you and so strong, but also showed your softness and your gracefulness. And it was, um, I mean, how does this, how does it feel? Uh, It's really crazy that I have created a viral video. I mean... Especially when you work in the digital space, like that's something you always hope <laughs> will happen. I never thought it happened personally to me, but like on projects that I worked on, yeah. to then like leave and just, you know, leave my job. And I don't make a ton of video content for my Instagram. Like I post on stories, of course, often. And that's where the video first had taken place. I re recorded it as an IGTV. So yeah, the whole thing was just very unexpected. It was incredible. I mean, you really, and it was at kind of the beginning. So, I mean, you literally provided like an informative educational video <laughs> <laughs> like that helped be like a huge part of 
you know, the civil rights movement movement digitally. I mean, I think it's really, it's magical and it's really special. And I'm like, really, it was like very happy that you were to like see here over and over again. One more time for the people in the back. <laughs> over and over again in stories. So has this, what's the, um, now that you're on the other end of a viral video, what now, how does that look in terms of, you know, are you getting so much outreach and what's happened since that? Well, I mean, first of all, I think I was really shocked by the messages I was getting from white people who had, or just non-black people who had watched the video. You know, you always sort of expect, obviously as a black person talking about racism, that you're going to get all this hate and trolls and you know, I got a little bit of that, but I got so many like thoughtful and self-reflective messages from people who were just like, I needed to see this. Mm. And like you for helping me see this situation in, you know, a different way. And I do think for so long, it's been so normal that like, you know, we all see the horrifying stuff that's going on the news. and. I know you've seen many instances of it. I know a lot of people have, but then you're like, oh, but that's not like what I post about on my Instagram. And like, I don't get political on my Instagram and I don't do this, whatever, you know, I think is a lot of people's standpoint. And it was just so blatant to me when I, you know, that week that the George Floyd situation happened And I was feeling so overwhelmed. So like, I didn't feel, it just didn't feel right to be posting about my normal life, Mm -hmm. but I was still on Instagram. So then seeing like my black friends posting about what's happening and then seeing white friends or just white people that I follow posting like it's any old day, I'm like, this is insane. Mm -hmm. And it's just not right. Mm -hmm. It's not right. So, yeah. So, you know, I got a lot of messages from people and I really, you know, appreciate that people took the time to even let me know the effect it had on them. And I've had a lot of brands reaching out basically like Monday morning, what I posted the video Friday, Monday morning, people in my inbox being like, um, can we talk about like our approach to being anti-racist? Uh, How does that make you feel? You know, I think, here's the thing. I think a lot of people, you know, have, yes, finally woken up. Welcome. (laughs) We're so happy to have you here. And uh, I think that there are some people who get frustrated when Black people are sort of like, okay, well, took you long enough. And non-black people will be like, oh, well, better leave than never. Like, I like don't want to feel shamed and whatnot. But you should feel embarrassed that it took you this long. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, we're we're grateful that you are now aware, but you should also feel embarrassed. Yeah. You should. Yeah. I mean, I think about that there's no way that you could get messages like that and not go through with every email, a round of emotions, like, oh, this is great. Wow. That's good of them to reach out to me. And also just like then, you know, searching files in your brain. Have I ever seen a black person on their Instagram? Have I ever, what was that event look like? Da, 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 da. And then just be like, what the fuck? Like, fuck you. 
Right. And there's been so many brands that I have privately spoken to about their disregard for diversity. Mm-hmm. And it's really frustrating. You know, I, when I see it, I call it out. I might not post about it publicly, but you know, I always go to the PR people when I know them and I'm like, listen, this doesn't look so great. Like you guys need to rethink your strategy here. So it is unfortunate to then see, you know, a year later or whatever, that this is happening and all of these people have not made a single change. And so then, yeah, you are going to get called out if you can't acknowledge that you've fallen short in the past, like you are going to get called out. If you just all of a sudden are going to like be like, okay, well now we support black people. But like, where were you this whole time? Yeah. It's it's frustrating. That must be, I mean, being in fashion too, and you working with a lot of these people, I can't imagine the, I mean, this must be outside of just the frustrations of being, a black person in America having this now every day, all day long must just be like a constant reminder of that frustration within your industry. So I can't imagine like emotionally what, like how, like you must be just exhausted times a thousand at the end of the day. Yes. I think sort of staying off social media actually, or like just not surfing it all the time has been really key to staying sane because you know, it's just a lot. People are doing a lot of performative shit. I just think that for so many of these brands, which let's say the majority of fashion brands have not been focused on diversity. So it just feels so disingenuous when they're all of a sudden like hot out the gate okay, Black Lives Matters, and here's this and this, here's this Black person that wore our clothes, here's this Black person that wore our clothes. Like, I think you have to really be upfront with your community that you are aware that you have fallen short. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, like, if we don't know that you're aware of where you've, like, fucked things up in the past, like, how are we supposed to know that you know the right way forward? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Because it's not just enough to be like, okay, well, now we're going to just like throw up like, you know, a couple more black people are on our Instagram. It's also what does inside your company look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it should be transparent from inside the walls of every office before it goes through to the Instagram. How are you responding First of all, when I was talking to like mutual friends of ours, we were both like, I hope she's charging money for every response. (laughs) I was like, she cannot just be sitting there giving out free emails. Well, you know, I think that there's also a huge misunderstanding that like, it's just our job to like teach everyone about race. Yeah, no, it's not your job at all not my job at all. Um, thank you very much. So if you would like advice or feedback from me, that is going to require compensation. Yeah, absolutely. So is that now what is happening? Is this like your next step? Yes. I've been consulting with Danielle Prescott. Which is great. 
uh, for a couple brands. And we're also doing a little seminar for a couple of influencers who, you know, have a large following, reach a lot of women. And I think it's important also, you know, for them to really think about these things. And like, I know that they care obviously, or else they wouldn't be doing this. Um, and so just like trying to help them understand this system that has benefited them and how they can work to, you know, correct it going forward. And I think it's important because their reach is really big. So we want them to be you know, successful in this so that they can also teach their following. Yeah, of course. But I mean, that's just like the best way to amplify other creators too, because this is what I've been talking and noticing is, I mean, the, this whole like shit show of somebody getting extremely famous on Instagram is so weird and random, but it it becomes this funnel of like, you you know, like you go to this event or you go to this trip and this and blah, 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 and you're like in this vacuum And then all of a sudden it's like years have passed and these people are like flying by. But meanwhile, all around us are creators that are in the dust, been in the fucking dust and creating content that is unfucking believable. And so, I mean, that's been the conversations that I've been having is like, how do we amplify those literally just those accounts on Instagram? Right. Right. I know. I mean, even when, you know, before the video took off, you know, I had about 77,000 followers. And it's like, you think I don't have a million followers because like my style's not good? Like that's not how this works. Mm-hmm. No, it's <laughs> you know, not. This app is a reflection of our society and, you know, and how white supremacy literally has its clutches on it. Yeah, I mean, I can't... <laughs> We've, it's been something that we've always talked about in the office too, because our team is always like, like the boys I've only worked with, there's only like three boys that work on my team. And they're always like, look at her and what she's doing. And like, look at her, what she's doing. Or it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, an LPA has a good amount of followers, but it doesn't have like the engagement on LPA is like a fraction of what mine is. Yeah. It's like so confusing. And so it's been... I mean, I'm really thankful for our team and the openness and what we've been doing, but I can't, I can't imagine what it must be like to be approached by so many people at one time when you've kind of just been there or you're like, I've just been here this whole fucking time. (laughs) Yeah. Like I, you know, I worked in the industry for a long time and... What would that feel like going on trips and going to events and... I mean, were you comfortable in these spaces? Were are you always like, this is like some weird environment that's like zero, a zero reflection of like my values? Yeah, I think the last couple of years, it's felt harder because I'm just like, this is a lot of bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, my perspective, especially like on the industry and like luxury fashion, all of those things, you know, is a lot less important to me. And you just start to realize like these things don't really matter. Like if you get invited to the Dior show, like that doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Like what matters to me is like being a good person and helping people and talking about things that are important, like mental health and, you know, taking care of ourselves so we can take care of other people. Mm -hmm. And 
So like fighting about whether I'm getting into a show or like what row I'm seated in. I'm like, none of that means anything to me anymore. And yeah, so it's, you know, it's weird to be in those environments where other people still care a lot about those things. You know, you're like, we're, we, uh, we're on different points <laughs> right now. And I'm not trying to be like holier than thou. I just think that it's just different perspectives on yeah. what we're doing. And maybe that's because I've been in the industry for so long. Like, of course you get jaded. Like, so it also but, just sounds like you like grew up into a woman. Right. Like, yeah, of course you go to some amazing fashion shows. You go to some amazing parties and get to travel a lot. But then you're like, okay, but I'm also doing a lot of this, like just to like, so I can post a photo on Instagram. And yeah. That transition from thinking that your value only comes through like this post that is showing where you are and how good your outfit is or how good you look or whatever. And then getting the same magnification for something that shows vulnerability and honesty is such a, a transformative, beautiful feeling. And it's, yeah. and that, and then your community becomes people that are like, which I'm sure, like you said, like this, like comforting, welcoming, love filled. And then it just shines out from you. It's like a very, like, I think that, you know, Instagram obviously gets such a bad rap for being such a negative thing. And it obviously can the way that anything can be. But I think fucking flipping it on its head and being like, this is my community and this is my connection to strangers. And we're, you know, a lot of us are experiencing the same things. And if you're not here, let me tell you what's up. And right. It's so, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. It's, sure. and I, I'm, you know, watching you go from working at Harper's to what you've been doing, um, even just amongst like our mutual friends and people who know you, like we've all been like, Chrissy's doing fucking great. <laughs> like it's, it's awesome. And it, I mean, it's not, I think everything that's happened has been really beautiful for you. Thank you. So do you guys have a name for what you're doing yet? Like, how does that even fucking work? I know. I don't know. We're not that, we're not there yet. We're just like taking it a day at a time and, you know, focused on really like helping to like rehabilitate the way that people view, you know, diversity and really focused on like the message of, you know, you need to support Black people. How have those conversations been going so far without getting too specific, but. I think that everyone that we're working with like really gets it. Like we're not trying to convince anyone like why diversity is important. <laughs> it's more that, you know, people are, are having an awakening and just helping to like set some guidelines and um, just different ways to, you know, think about content and how you're delivering it. And yeah, just encouraging that like, you know, diversity is, is just good for all of us. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you having to say that to people and charge them <laughs> for it is fucking insane. <laughs> like, Let's just love some black people. <laughs> we'll be fine. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me. Back to Q and A with Pia and Davide. 
Good afternoon. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Whatever time you're listening to this. That's right. Thank you for coming to our bedroom. Thank you for having me. Uh, Chi Chi is here. So if there's some background noise, it is the, the Something dog. Something like this. <laughs> I can totally judge so, a baby. Fantastic. Okay. <clears throat> my relationship question is mostly regarding my relationship with myself. I hope that's okay. Oh, I love that. <clears throat> I'm turning 26 in August and I've been having a pre midlife crisis more and more recently. I'm not happy with my job and I feel like if I stay there, my soul will slowly be crushed into a million pieces. I've been researching and thinking about quitting my job and going back to school full-time to be a psychiatrist. This is something that I have secretly toyed around with doing, but I don't think, didn't think it made sense for my life as I probably should have started that eight years ago when I graduated. I cried to my boyfriend saying I'm behind in my life. My boyfriend is endlessly supportive and doesn't seem to mind if I make this change that I'll be in school for the next 10 to 12 years, which is one of the most amazing gifts I could ask for. Am I crazy for wanting to change my life so drastically now? Do you have any recommendations for how I could bring this up to my parents or does their opinion even matter? Obviously, I'm conflicted or maybe just scared of what will happen if I take this leap. I love you, Pia and Davide, and you make me want to foster 100 dogs a day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I think I'm, you literally I'm said, I'm going to start on this. I think I'm going to answer first. Oh, okay. I feel, I, I'm feel, I'm feeling it. Um, <laughs> first of all, you're not alone. <laughs> um, Davide wants to be a stand-up comedian. I am personally facing that time of my life. Uh, and, and it can be extremely painful to to process and to to go through it, I actually I'm actually working with the, with a great therapist, uh, and he's really helping me processing this this time of my life. Uh, I will start saying that it is important for everybody out there to do first what makes us happy, and second what makes us uh, accomplished and no matter where you find that fulfillment but you need to listen to yourself I would like to to give her uh, an advice and to tell her that first of all you're extremely lucky to have the support of your partner I will not necessarily involve your parents in this because you know sometimes we do have expectation and we do probably uh, even at an adult age, give too much consideration of our parents' feeling and uh, and and perspectives. I stopped doing that at a very young age. The first question that I would like would suggest you to write down on a on a on a paper and to find an answer for it. It's like what you want from your life, what you're looking for, and today. And I will give you, and I will give you the the mic, uh, Amore. Today I was looking, at, I was watching something that really inspired me, and and it was a, a speech of a very, of a very famous actor, and he said something that, it really inspired me. He said, "I need three things in my life, every day in my life. I need something to look up for, 
something to look forward for and somebody, someone to chase. And I was like, wow, this is, this is so inspiring. And the first answer to those three questions, those three things that he needs in his life was God, somebody to look up for. Up but to. That, up to, sorry. But that's really, you know, you got to believe it. You got to be a believer. And that's not for everybody. So find something, find something to look up to. Uh, find someone or something to look forward to. In my case, that's probably my mother. You know, my mother was a dreamer and she wanted to really see me accomplished, talking about parents' opinion. And the third thing was someone to chase. And he said, I've been chasing myself. I try to chase the hero version of who I am. And this guy asked him at 15 years old, who's your hero? And he said, well, my hero is myself in 10 years. So it's myself at 25. At 25, the same guy asked to this actor, so are you a hero? And the actor is like, no, I'm not even close. My hero is myself at 35. And the truth of the matter, the point of it is that he would have never chase, he would never stop chasing the hero version of himself till this day. The guy won an Oscar, he's a very accomplished, very, very rewarded and very respected actor, but he's still chasing the best version of himself. Writing down this thing really helped me processing that. I am in the same point. I'm at the same exact stage in my life. I, I drop the peak of my career and I'm trying to start all over again. And we are all facing hard times. I hope this will really help. But write down what you want from your life. Write down what you're looking for. And start with this three little step. Something or someone to look up to something or someone to look forward to and someone to chase my helps. Sorry if I took, sorry if I took all this time, but. You're so wonderful. I love you so much. Sorry, but I really felt this, really felt this question. No good. I have nothing to add. <laughs> I, love I love you too. See you next week, guys. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes this week's episode of Everything is the Best. I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Maybe leave a comment. But remember, shitty comments are for shitty people. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram at Pia Barangini. And I hope you have a fabulous, fabulous rest of your day. Love you. Ciao.